<laughs> Thanks, Al. That was far too kind. Um, right. I wasn't nervous until they put this thing on me, so just bear with me. I was expecting one of these. Now I've got the mega mic, which makes me look a bit more professional than I actually am, so don't get your hopes up. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, as Alex said, my name is Ed. I'm, uh, I'm one of the youth leaders here, one of the very few and very lovely youth leaders. Um, and before I go into what I'm talking about today, I just want to give you guys a bit of a background as to why I chose what I've chosen. Uh, originally, I spoke to the main man, Jim Harper, and I said, I'd love to talk to the, you're welcome, I'd love to talk to the, the guys at the church and just explain what we do with the youth, because obviously that's my passion, that's what I do. And I thought it would be useful for you guys to know in case you have someone in the youth with us, so you have an idea of what we're talking to them about, what we're teaching them, so that you can get involved in that and help steward them and love them and, and bring them up as well. There's already a baby crying, and it's my baby. I'm getting heckled by my own son. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> I also thought it would be interesting for those of you who uh, don't yet have anyone with us, but are going to have someone in the youth with us, to have an understanding of what they're going to be taught, what kind of things we're going to be teaching them, so that you can get that conversation started early, lay the foundation, and then we can fine-tune. Um, Jim lovingly handed this off to, uh, to Rich, who said, eh, not sure about that, Ed. Maybe you need to make it a little bit more applicable to everyone which was a good point, thank you. So I've done my best. Um, and what I thought about, I had to decide, why do I do what I do with the youth? Why do I teach them the things I teach them? Why do I pick those particular topics? And it came down to something that I kind of made up a little while ago when I'm making the syllabus for the youth. I follow, uh, it's an acronym. I'm sure you're all aware that an acronym, each letter stands for a different thing. In this case, it's a different topic, just in case you don't. Um, the, uh, the acronym that I use is called CHAPTER. Okay, each of those letters, I'm not going to tell you what they are yet because that will ruin some of the talk, which isn't on it yet. Um, each letter stands for a different topic that every term I try and pack into the syllabus. So I make sure that I hit all of those different elements every syllabus. The reason that I do that, and I have to ask myself, why do I bother with those particular topics? is because with the youth, the thing I'm trying to do and the thing we're trying to do in the youth team is bring them up for a life with and for Jesus. That's what we want for them. We want a life that's secure in Jesus, living for Jesus. We want them to live a kingdom life. It's important, there we go, kingdom living. That's what I'm going to be talking about today. Now, the reason that these elements that we've, uh, we've gone through, or we're going to go through rather, for chapter helpful is because they give you a framework and they give you something that a lot of people lack, intentionality, okay? Being intentional in your learning, in your reading, in your developing, in your discipleship. I see this a lot in my day job. For those of you who don't know, I'm an MVQ assessor, which basically means I'm a traveling teacher. Um, I'm in the active leisure industry, and I teach personal training, fitness instructing, things like that. So I get to see a lot of people come in and speak to my learners. They're their clients, and they say things like, I just want to get fitter, or I just don't want to be fat anymore. And, you know, my client, my learners obviously have to ask them, oh, well, how do you plan on doing that? What do you want to do to achieve this goal? And they'll say things like, I'm just going to come to the gym more, or I just, I'm just going to eat right. What I've noticed is with virtually 100% of the people that answer, there's no intentional way of doing that. They just say, I want to be fitter, I'm going to come to the gym more. What is fitness to you? What does that mean? What does the goal of fitness look like for you? When you're going to come to the gym, what are you going to do in the gym? Do you have a plan? What are you going to do? Are you going to eat right, are you? What does that mean? Do you have the knowledge to know what's right and what's wrong to eat? And it's a lack of intentionality that I think having this framework of chapter 
really does help with cover. So before I get into what chapter actually is, for those of you who don't know, I'm just going to really quickly talk about kingdom living. So that's what we're going to do first. What is kingdom living? Is it necessary? Second thing we're going to do, we're going to go through what chapter actually is. As I said before, it's an acronym. Get excited. And then the third thing we're going to do is how does that help with kingdom living? And most importantly, without coming off like Ned Flanders. Because no one wants to be Ned Flanders. Okay, so first things first. What is kingdom living? I had a little think about this because I feel like, or I felt like I could reason it to myself what kingdom living is, but I didn't know if I could verbalize it very well. So I did a little quick um, search with the experts online. And the thing that came up the most, and I felt was closest to what kingdom living is, is living obediently to God's constitution. Living the way that God wants you to live, the way that God has asked you, told you to live. But I thought, well, that's really great and everything, but I need, to, I need to tell these guys what God's constitution actually is. So what does that entail? Well, I decided to pick, first things first, something you guys may know as the Great Commission. This is Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, that's important, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that's important too. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Also, it's kind of all important, really, actually, to be honest with you. It's all important. The next one, John 13, 34 through 35. Jesus says, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. Three love one another's. Might be important. Might be statistically significant, you might say. And then Matthew 22, 36 through 40, uh, Jesus was asked, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he replies, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is important. Listen to this. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All the law and the prophets. So, Everything that God has done in the entirety of human history, leading all the way through the Old Testament, everything hinges on these two commandments, apparently. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. So that's what we're going to kind of break down now. So let's have a little look. Those are obviously the quotes. You're welcome to look them up or take pictures, things like that. Let's break these down. First thing that we get told to do, great commission, make, hey man, make disciples, Okay. This is obviously a faith-based thing to do. You need to love Jesus. You need to know Jesus. You need to be a part of church family, of Jesus' family. But it's also knowledge-based and skill-based as well. If you're going to engage in making disciples, you need to have the skill of teaching and instructing and imparting wisdom and knowledge. It also needs to be knowledge-based because you need to know what the hell you're teaching them. If you don't know, you can't teach them anything. This applies to me as well. I didn't know anything until I had to learn it. And then we go on to making disciples of all the nations. That's, that's a really big goal. That's a really big goal. And if we go back to what I said before about that intentionality, being intentional in your learning and your discipleship, it's really important that you have that intentionality. If you need to be intentional in a very small fitness goal, not being fat, how much intentionality do you think it takes to make a disciple across all the nations? If you really want to know how much intentionality it takes, you can ask Jim and Rich. I think Bill's also been out to places like Africa to speak with people, to make disciples of various nations. It's an amazing thing to do, but it takes a lot of effort, learning, and God's grace, obviously. 
We're also told to baptize in the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's, that's really theologically complicated thing to A, understand, and B, explain. It's also quite philosophically complicated. It's, it's a philosophical thing to understand something that is not physical, it's metaphysical. Trying to explain it to someone is really hard. If you don't understand it yourself, it's very, very difficult to get this across. We're also told to teach people, our disciples, to obey. But obey what? It's another knowledge-based, skill-based thing. You need to know what we're told to teach people to obey. And you need to have the abilities to instruct and teach and encourage. We also need to make sure that we're avoiding hypocrisy. And in order to do that, we need to know what we could potentially be being hypocritical about. Matthew 7, 3 through 5 says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but don't consider the beam that is in your own eye? We need to learn things for ourselves first. We need to be able to live it in order to then teach it. It's kind of a practice what you preach type of thing. And then we're told a lot to love one another. Well, this is relational. You need to be able to relate to people. You need to be able to build relationships, love them, have them love you. And it's also encouragement-based. You need to be able to encourage people through hard times, encourage people to love Jesus, encourage them to continue fighting for him because he fights for them. That's really important. That's a skill that you can learn. To sum it all up, I popped a little quote down there at the bottom that I thought, if you take one thing away from what I've just said, hopefully it'll be that. Kingdom living is grace-driven sacrifice for the betterment of others. You sacrifice your time, your efforts to learn and grow and be discipled and be disciplined in your training of your love of God and your knowledge of the Holy Spirit and what God's word is. Then... Through that sacrifice, you can then go out and you can better other people. You can make disciples of all the nations. You can teach and instruct and love. So let's quickly just go through what chapter is. I'll give you all the, here we go. Now, right, I've cheated a little bit. Those of the astute watchers will notice what I've done here. It's not church, then history. It's church history. So I've cheated a bit. Then it's apologetics, philosophy, theology, encouragement, and relation. These are the major topics that I always try and hit with the youth because I feel that this is a framework in which to train yourself, to be a disciple yourself, and then have the knowledge and the skills and the abilities to then disciple others. But I'm going to go into it. So first of all, what's the value of these different things? Well, I'm going to give you a couple of four different scenarios and when this might be useful. First of all, around the dinner table. Imagine you're sat with your non-Christian friends or even your Christian friends or your kids or whoever it may be. How can you appropriately bring up your faith? How can you appropriately create opportunities to teach and to learn and to love and to display Jesus without being Ned Flanders? When you're teaching kids, what are you teaching them? If you've got kids or if you're in the kids' ministry or if you're a grandparent, anything like that, what are you teaching them? And are you avoiding hypocrisy? Do you have the knowledge to make sure you're teaching the right things and displaying the right things? I know I never want to get to the point where one day, Seth asks me, Daddy, why did you have that affair? You told me it was wrong. You need to make sure you guard yourself first, you learn yourself first, then you impart that knowledge and that wisdom. And, that's the, and then teaching yourself, almost as if I planned it that way. How can you teach anyone else without addressing your own learning? And this is something that I've really had to learn. When I left, just like anybody who leaves university, I thought I knew everything. Realistically, I knew absolutely nothing, except a couple of things I'd learned at uni. But I had to take a long time to teach myself before I got even this opportunity to speak to you guys. And I'm still not sure I'm really ready for this. Also, your kingdom journey, your walk with God. Um, get your priorities in order. Get everything set up, ready. Learn what you need to learn. 
know about the kingdom of God, then you can go out and display it. Disciple yourself before you disciple others. So let's jump into chapter, shall we? Let's start with church history. Now, I know the first thing, a couple of people will get excited. Probably a lot of you will get very disappointed, but don't be scared. I don't necessarily mean you need to go and grab the biography of John Calvin and start reading through the five theses that were nailed on the door. You don't need to do that. It's tulip, by the way. They're kind of cool. I'm not necessarily talking about that, but if you want to go and do that, that's fantastic. But there was stuff before the Reformation. I'm talking about things like real evidence for people of the Bible, like Jesus, like Paul, like Peter. Did they exist? It's kind of key. Here's something I saw recently, which chilled me to my bone. If you buy, I don't know if they fixed it, but if you buy, is it a Google Alexa or an Amazon Alexa? Amazon Alexa? I think it's an Amazon Alexa. Tom's not in, it's Amazon. Amazon Alexa. If you buy an Amazon Alexa and you ask it, who was the prophet Muhammad? It'll give you a lovely backstory and it'll tell you all about him and it's really quite nice and it's, it's really quite well, well written. If you ask the Alexa, hey Alexa, who's the Lord Jesus Christ? It will say to you, and I have a quote, Jesus Christ was a fictional character. Ah, yeah, I know. Wouldn't it be great if you knew your church history, if you knew that Jesus was a historical figure, so when you're with your friends and they say, oh, you think Jesus Jesus was a real character, let's ask Alexa, you can smash that piece of machinery. The little heretical Alexa. Okay? Remember the value of chapter that we discussed earlier. When you're sat around the dinner table or you're teaching your kids, things like that. Imagine, now this is a really popular line of questioning, I don't mean to upset anybody, but it's really popular with the new atheists, Um, it comes from Richard Dawkins' book a few years ago, Um, imagine your friend who's an informed new atheist, he asks you, how can you love a God and believe in a God who's not morally sufficient, who isn't all good, isn't all loving, just look at the Old Testament, look at the atrocities that were committed in the Old Testament, what about the genocide of the Canaanites, how can you believe in a God who orders and allows that? You may already know the answer to that question. You may already know how to deal with it. You may not. But I'll tell you what isn't a good, a good response, which I have seen before. Um, that's, that's just the Old Testament God. Just, just flick, flick forward a bit. Flick forward a bit. Just keep going, keep going, keep going. Yeah, there, New Testament, right? God completely changes. I think having kids just really mellows him. You know how that can happen. <laughs> I actually saw that as a response once. I was like, oh, no, that's not right. It's a really popular line of question. You need to have a better response than that. Uh, That's what made me go and learn about it. I was like, oh my God, I never want to do that. That was awful. What would you say if you're talking to your kids about something they've learned at school? I know um, a lot of us go to uh, or send our children to Catholic schools because they're generally pretty good schools. Uh, What if your child comes back and says, what's the difference between us and Catholics? I know we were sort of like all Christians at one point, but when did we break up the band? When did that happen? Do you know the history of how that happened or what the differences are. I know every, if you're anything like me, you've got super cool hip friends on Facebook, and every Easter you get status updates and posts about zombie Jesus. Wouldn't it be great if you were having a conversation with someone and they brought that up, and you were able to take them to the historical, extra-biblical as well as biblical accounts of the fully bodily risen Jesus, and you had that in your locker, so to speak. It's really important to know our church history so that we can instruct others and correct any basically faulty thinking. Moving on to apologetics. I didn't hear a groan. That's a good news. I know I bang on about it a lot. And before I go on, apologetics doesn't mean apologizing, as my mate once thought. He saw I'd posted on uh, Instagram. Oh, doing the podcast with Matt, which is coming, by the way. 
And he said, uh, oh, what's it on? I said, oh, apologetics. And his response was, question mark, question mark, question mark. Just say sorry, innit? Wow. It's not what apologetics is. Apologetics is a defense of the faith. It's not learning how to really sincerely say, I'm so sorry. Difficult questions about what we believe and why we believe it really come up a lot, especially these days when the church and religion in general are really under attack. Having a good apologetic really helps you with being able to deal with these difficult conversations and these difficult issues that do come up. For example, again, let's consider that you're teaching your kids something. If you're watching a news report and it's about something hateful, like a mass shooting, for instance, and your son turns to you and says, Mommy, why does God allow evil people to do evil things? How do you plan on answering that? That's... That's a really difficult question to answer. I'm sure you know, Julie, but (laughs) you can feel free to contribute if you want. I know you're happy. Boom, yeah, free will, perfect. Well done, that's a pretty good answer. Uh, i tell you what's not a good answer, which again is something else I've seen. Oh, we can't know God's mind, you just have to trust him. What? I I wouldn't be happy with that personally, and... um, I, I don't know many people who would be like, yeah, actually, that's cool. Yeah, that makes sense. A good apologetic to answers to questions like that, good apologetic answer, can really help keep you and your loved one's faith based in truth and knowledge and security. This is particularly important if you have young people who plan on going off to university someday because particularly abroad, but increasingly so here, universities are becoming not just atheistic in general, but they're becoming anti-theistic. Um, the more people that go off to university with their faith uh, tend to have it tested by harsh lines of questioning, not from other students, but from lecturers themselves. It's really, really common. So if you have a child who's getting ready to go off to university and they, you don't know if they've done any apologetics, it might be worth going through some stuff with them. Um, you can always send them to me, send them to Matt, listen to the podcast. That's two plugs now, Matt, you're welcome. Get them to listen to some stuff because if you send them off to university without any understanding of why they believe what they believe and how to defend it, you're essentially sending them off to war with a rubber sword. It's going to end in tears. Moving on, philosophy. Okay, now, I've put here a fairly flippant example. Philosophy isn't useful. I've heard people say that. It's a philosophical statement, so kind of self-refuting, really. You've used a philosophical idea to to try and prove something but stating that it's untrue by using philosophy. It's just self-refuting. That's another thing that philosophy helps you work out. When something is self-refuting, if it ignores itself, if it's not logically coherent. When I talk about philosophy, I don't necessarily mean you guys should run out and read Descartes and things like that, because quite frankly, it's just depressing. What I mean is, if you learn a little bit about philosophical basis, how to make an argument, how to spot issues with arguments, how to refute people's central point, you can really, it really helps you keep discussions civil, productive, helpful. And difficult questions do come up very, very often. As I said before, Christianity is so under attack. Let's give you an example of... Actually, no, do you know what? I'm not going to bother doing that one. Let's skip ahead. Um, speaking of philosophy, I mentioned earlier that the Trinity is, is a somewhat philosophical thing in that it's metaphysical. We have to step outside of the physical world. That's me stepping outside his physical world. I'm stepping to the outside the physical world. This is metaphysics now. You have to use some form of philosophy to be able to answer questions when you step outside of the, f- the physical world because logic still adheres, 
not everything physical does. You have to work, use things like philosophical inference and speculation to work in metaphysics. That might not make any sense to you, but for those of you who it does make sense to, you're welcome. Philosophy as well stands for uh, philo and sophos, which is a love of wisdom or a love of truth. Um, so it has at its heart a route to truth. That's the whole point of philosophy is to get to the truth of anything. We live in an age where arguments tend to be made to win, not to prove what's true. An argument, the whole point of an argument, a debate, a discussion is to get to the truth. So we should love philosophy because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So if we can use philosophical underpinnings to get to the truth, we know it gets to Jesus. We should love philosophy. Maybe not Descartes, but philosophy. A framework from philosophy really does help to keep arguments, debates, discussions logical, civil, productive. Moving on to theology. Hopefully someone just got excited. Show of hands, right? Who thinks, who thinks it's important to know why you believe what you believe? Alright, pretty much. Did all my youth put their hands up? You better have. Okay? All of you people who raised your hands, that's where theology comes in. That's where it's useful. Now, I know a lot of you guys have kids, like I say, who went to a Catholic school, because Catholic schools are generally quite good. How would you respond, as an example, if they came back and they started saying to you about the, they learned about the Immaculate Conception? I didn't know until fairly recently that the virgin birth and the Immaculate Conception are different things. Very, very different. One's right, one's not. Okay? And I'm from a family that I grew up Catholic. We were so Catholic, we were Catholic. Do you know what I mean? Mom, isn't that right? We were seriously Catholic. Mom's nodding, embarrassed, please don't point me out again. Learning to distinguish. I was an altar server, by the way. I had a medal and everything. And I still had no clue that those were two different things. Theology in the Catholic Church missed me, apparently. Learning to distinguish between right, biblical thinking, and wrong, unbiblical thinking is really important. No one wants to be a heretic, I don't think. No? Everyone's sort of looking at me like, obviously not, no, good. And no one wants to disciple someone into being a heretic, because uh, no one wants to be sat in church, and they've got someone that they're, they're loving and doing a relationship with, and they overhear them say, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think Jesus was fully God, no. Like, oh no, I've done it all wrong. Having a good theology really, really helps you. Not only you, discipling yourself and having a good understanding, but it also sets up a framework for you to move forward and to love and to teach other people into right thinking. Moving on, we've got encouragement. Don't worry, guys. You're almost there. Talk's nearly done. Now, encouragement, that was encouragement, by the way. You're welcome. Encouragement is something that, eventually, I've had to work on a lot with the youth. Because I'm... I'm going to put this without sounding arrogant. I'm quite good. I have some natural gifts by God's grace that lend me to teaching intellectually fairly well, generally speaking. I can do a decent job of connecting people intellectually. I'm not very good at connecting people emotionally. I'm not brilliant at being empathetic with people. I have a bit of an issue with being like, oh, right, that's your problem. Well, here's how you fix it. Done. See you later. I've had to really work on, especially dealing with young people, being able to relate to them emotionally. Um, and in my learning, I discovered something really quite cool. In a book I've been reading recently, which was um, by a, uh, a psychoanalyst, Dr. Jordan Peterson, I found out that a lack of encouragement, believe it or not, I didn't at first, a lack of encouragement can lead to insanity. Now hear me out. What's the common, 
common idea about the definition of insanity. You've probably all heard it, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, right? That's generally what people say is the definition of insanity. It's normally attributed to Einstein. I've no idea if he did say that or not. That's an example of insanity. That's an action of insanity. That's not a cause or a reason for its onset. As I say, Dr. Jordan Peterson, who's a clinical psychologist, he says that not having someone to voice your hurts to, not having someone to reason through any issues and neuroses with, getting feedback and encouragement from, can lead to insanity. You internalize everything, and one of the biggest things about being able to rationalize problems and make them seem like they're not this big, they really are this big, which is the reality, is being able to speak to someone, get encouragement and feedback, and be able to rationalize together. We need one another to get through our problems. The stress of being, and that's a big B, as I've got up there, which is essentially being a human, thinking, being conscious, being aware of your mortality, etc., etc. It's really stressful. Just being a human is hard work. It's stressful. Just being. When you're isolated with your problems, the stress of being can become too much. And clinically speaking, you can go insane. Because, and I know some people will probably be sat here thinking, oh, don't worry, I've got God. Don't worry about it. I'm happy. I'm fine. I'll never be upset. Hard times won't trouble me because I've got God. But hard times do come. Problems appear. And hard times do come. It's not a case of if they come. It's when they come. In John 16:33, Jesus states, in this world, you will have tribulations. Having encouragement from someone during those tough seasons staves off the insanity from the stress of being. And it is hard. And it's a skill that takes practice, being able to encourage someone and love someone. It is really, really difficult, but you can do it. That's a bit of encouragement for you. Okay? I like to stick with the basics. God loves you. You have moral, intrinsic value. You are valuable as a human just because you're a human. It doesn't matter what you do. God loves you. God made you. You're in the image and likeness of God. You are awesome. You can do it. Those are the ones I like to stick to when I'm doing encouragement. I hope, I hope you feel encouraged. Moving on, last one, relation. Now, I'm not talking about your cousins, just so you know. We are supposed to be a light in a dark world. Our reflection of Christ should be enticing to others. The way we reflect Jesus and his person should, try, should draw people in like moths to a flame. Not that you guys are moths. I know that's not a very nice thing to say. How are people going to see that light of Christ if we don't relate to them, talk to them, spend time with them, build relationship with them? This, again, is also a skill, being able to relate to people. And uh, if you are someone who struggles to talk to people and maybe you're a little bit unsure about speaking with people, there is a great YouTube uh, channel. It's not a Christian channel, so obviously tread lightly. Um, but it's called Charisma On Command. I personally have watched quite a lot of their videos and found it very, very interesting. Now, I learned early on in my career coaching that the people who learned best from me were the people who liked me the most generally speaking, because they actually cared what I thought and they wanted to know. It's the exact same when you're trying to love people and disciple people and teach them something about Jesus. I bet the people who are listening best in here now are the ones who like me the most. Living life with people, getting people to love you and like you and building rapport with them lets them into your life and it gives them opportunities to see you living and reflecting Christ. How amazing is that? People get to see Christ through you. That's so amazing. I'm excited. I hope you guys are too. Now, this fosters relationship. 
you foster a relationship. This can lead to a discipleship. And I don't necessarily mean you discipling others. You can be discipled as well. I know uh, my uncle, uh, you might remember him. His name is Christian. He used to play in the worship band. The youth remember him as Crazy Basis Chris. Um, he managed through very strong skills and abilities of relating to others and building rapport to make friends with an Old Testament scholar at the local university. And now Chris, by God's grace, and a little bit of luck, is now able to spend <laughs> coffee with them every couple of weeks with this Old Testament scholar who has papers published worldwide, and he gets discipled by him. That's, I mean, most people pay, how much is it per year for uni these days? Nine grand? What? 1827, that's maths, £27,000 for the privilege of that, and Chris gets his coffee bought for him. That is where relation comes in handy. Get the site, yeah, free coffees. You get, get people to love you and like you and build a relationship, be discipled, or disciple others when you're ready. Now, let's quickly talk about how can we live this out. Well, the first thing, again, without being Ned Flanders, the first thing is the idea, that's right, Josh, you know it, getting excited. The first thing is, orient yourself heavenward. You need to make sure that you're directing yourself heavenward. Matthew 6, 28 through 33 is a seminal piece in the Bible where Jesus describes kind of all the things that we, we worry about, all of the stresses of being, essentially, clothes, provision, basic care like food and drink. But here's the bit we're going to focus on. It's verse 33. Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Jesus is saying, orient yourself properly. Set your sights at what is good and what is true and what is godly. Then focus pointedly on the concerns of the moment. Set your eyes on heaven, then focus on what's happening in the moment. If you attend fully to the future in that manner, you've got a better chance of attending to the present and perfecting both. I'm going to say that again. If you attend fully to the future in that manner, setting your eyes on heaven and on what's good and what's true, you have a better chance of attending properly to the present and perfecting both. If we go back to Matthew 7, 5, about hypocrisy, consider this. Clean your own house before you try to change a nation. I read that in a book recently. Again, it's, it's Jordan Peterson. It's a very clever bloke. If you can't root out the sin that perhaps you haven't confessed to God yet, if you can't operate a basic schedule in which you study and you learn, if you can't submit yourself to spiritual leaders and to learning and being discipled, how can you hope to raise up a disciple? It's difficult to do to submit yourself. I've found it very, very hard throughout my years to try, by God's grace, to let go of my pride and submit. It's tough. But without having done that, I would never have a hope of raising up a disciple. As Jesus says, you need to remove your own beam or plank before you remove someone else's speck. You need to clean your own house before you try to change a nation. And that's what we're aiming at, isn't it? Disciples should be making disciples of all the nations. Aim to bring paradise to earth is the next one. Again, this is Jordan Peterson. I'm going to quote him this time. If you are working for the ennobling of being, so making people more noble, for paradise you show Christ. If you're working for the destruction of being, for the generation and propagation of unnecessary suffering and pain, you show Satan. Everything I've talked about today, all of the elements of chapter, 
They're all things that you can take on and ennoble yourself, submit yourself to learning and ennoble yourself. Then you have the opportunity to, enable, uh, to ennoble others. And when you do that, you're bringing paradise. You're showing Christ, you are bringing paradise. That's amazing. You get to be Christ in someone's life or a little window of it. So that they say, cool, let's actually go for it. Let's meet the real Jesus Christ because your little shadow image is enough for me to say, yes, I want to love Jesus too. And lastly, just remember this. Aim continually at heaven while you work diligently on earth. We are training for a lifetime with Jesus. For us first, and then so that we can help others to do that. If we are intentional, and we are training, and we are disciplined, and we get discipled, we can bring a little bit of paradise to those around us if we aim continually at heaven while we work diligently on earth. On this last slide, and for those of you who are interested in doing this and are, are interested in learning some of the things that we've talked about today, obviously I've not, given you, I've not given you arguments for the existence of God. I've not given you the practical knowledge elements. I've given you the framework to go away and learn. If you do want anything from me, feel free to come and ask me. I would love to sit down and have chats with you. Matt and I already do the podcast. Three. So you can, you're, welcome, you're welcome to go and check that when the next season's up. Um, but otherwise, here's something that I did for you. It's a reading list for your edification. I've taken, you, I've taken all of the different things that I talked about today. I've, I've got uh, encouragement and relation plugged together into personhood. These are all books that either I have read or various people that I love very, very much have read and would recommend. There are some on there that I've put in there because they are a little bit controversial. So tread lightly, be aware that there might be some con uh, controversy in a few of these. But these are books that I would strongly recommend, uh, especially 12 Rules for Life, Wild at Heart for Men, Captivating for Women, and Real Marriage for uh, Married Couples. If you want me to email you that reading list, I'm more than happy to. If you want to take a picture of those so that you can start looking into them and having a quick read, feel free. If you disagree with any of my choices, please come and tell me why. I would love to hear it so I can take it off, or not if you're wrong. Um, hopefully we're going to leave that up for you guys to look at. I hope this was helpful. Thank you very much, guys. Brilliant. Thanks, Ed. Great stuff. Uh, well, we're going to finish there. We're finishing a few minutes early, so uh, this is quite exciting. So you've got time to chat before the kids come back. Um, don't forget, Dine's Green this afternoon. If you want to come and help or just come along, uh, that would be amazing as well. Have an amazing week, guys. Go be, be a blessing to the world around you. Thanks for coming. Bye.